Good afternoon, church family. Well, at the top of this passage, we find Paul rejoicing. Now, joy has been a theme in this letter. So let's say this one more time. Everybody say joy. joy. Now, what brings Paul joy is not what you would expect. Here's the context. The Philippian church finds out that Paul's in prison under house arrest, probably in Rome. They send Epaphroditus, one of their church members, to bring a gift. Maybe money, maybe food. We don't know exactly what he's bringing, but he brings something. And it's a gift. And Epaphroditus almost dies trying to get that gift to Paul. He stays with Paul until he he begins to feel better. And when he gets to feel better and won't have to go home, then it's time to go home. And so Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter to the church. Now, in this time, if you received a gift, it was expected that either a gift would be given in return or some kind of thank you would be given in exchange for the gift. And if you couldn't return the gift, you would, in a sense, be indebted to the other person. So it's important that if somebody gave you a gift, you gave them a gift back. If somebody gave you a gift, you gave them a letter back. So Paul is entering into this kind of a thing. Now, we know about this, right? I know when I was growing up, you think about, who am I going to invite to my birthday party? And you go through the list. I don't really want to invite Ernie. But Ernie invited me to his birthday party, so I got to invite Ernie. I don't want to invite Bert, but... But Bert invited me to dinner last week. I better invite Bert... And we go through this exchange, right? You know what I'm talking about? This is, you get one, so you give one. Now, I want to ask you to look back at your bulletin, and I want you to notice that nowhere in this text does Paul ever say, thank you for the gift. He doesn't say it. He doesn't say, Thank you. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't say thank you. I'm just saying he didn't say thank you. But he also doesn't see himself as indebted to the Philippians. He's not indebted. He's not somehow under the Philippians because he can't give back what they gave to him. Paul has nothing. In house arrest, he is totally at the mercy of everybody who gives stuff to him. So they bring him money, he sends back. They give him food, he sends back. He can't participate in that system because he's given up everything for the cause of the gospel. And yet, he's not indebted to the Philippians. What does he say? Look at verse 10. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Notice, Paul is not excited about this gift. He's not rejoicing that they sent him money or food or clothes or whatever they sent him. Now, this is kind of odd to me because there have been times when I've needed something like money to pay something. And I don't know where it's going to come from. And then somebody says, hey, Chance, here's some money. And I say, thank you for that money because I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the money. But, but, but Paul's not excited about the money. 
He's not excited about the gift. He says, I'm rejoicing because you have revived your concern for me. Now, not like your concern wasn't there. Look at the next verse, the rest of that verse. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he says, your concern has revived. Your concern has blossomed. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Well, if you go down a little bit further in your passage, you'll see what he says in verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. But notice he says again in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. He's saying, you shared in my trouble. I want to I make a little bit of a, a pause and say that Paul knew that the Philippians' concern was revived. Like I mentioned a second ago, that word revived means blossomed. He knows that their concern is alive because they, they did something. They, they shared in his trouble. They gave him something. What are you concerned for? What do you say you love, church? And how do we know? Right? I'm looking out at you guys. I'm looking out at y'all too, but I can't really see you. And I see you who said, I, I have concern for the, the, the kids that don't get an equitable education. Now, if we would have just stated concern, then... then Nothing would have changed. But you said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to then give my life to these kids. Right? You said, I'm concerned because some of the folks in my neighborhood don't have access to a primary care physician. Or to a nurse who knows their needs. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to then not just let that stay with concern. I'm going to give my life. Give my life to that. I've seen it in you. And that's what Paul's saying, you did for me, Philippians. You, you shared my trouble. Because, because Epaphroditus is sleeping next to Paul. So it's like he's under house arrest with Paul. In fact, everybody who sees Paul sees Epaphroditus. And now Epaphroditus is seen as the criminal that Paul is. You are sharing your trouble with me. You are not just suffering vicariously. You are suffering with me by joining me. And Paul says that this is a, a partnership you sending needs to me. And so Paul's saying, listen, that is, that is evidence that your concern, though it was there, but it was dormant, is now blossomed. blossomed. I think the first thing that God is calling us to do here is ask, like, what are you concerned about? What do you, what do you care about? What are you frustrated by? What 
keeps you up at night. And then to what extent are you are you pouring your life into that? I think that's an important question to consider and to think about. Now, I think it's important that we make this connection that concern doesn't equal love. But what love looks like is giving. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he, what does it say? Gave. Greater love has no one than this than that he give his life, lay down his life for his friends. Love looks like giving. That's what concern that is alive looks like. And Paul says, I'm excited because your love is alive. Your love is blossoming. He's not saying I'm excited about the gift. In fact, he even says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Well, he's, he's rejoicing because they're, they're blossoming. And then look at the rest of verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What is this credit stuff? I'm going to give you a little lesson. I don't know what's about it, but I'm going to give you a little lesson. Say you don't have good credit. What's credit? Credit means how much people are willing to give to you. Of their money. You got to give back. Say you don't have good credit. You go try and get a credit card. And they say, you don't have good credit. You might, never mind. You might have been there, never mind. It says, we will give you, we will allow you to make purchases up to and including the amount of $250. Cool. So what happens is that you go to Walmart, you buy a PlayStation 17 or whatever they are. And then by the next month, what you do is you pay that back. And if you do that consistently over a period of time, they say, you're doing good with this. Here's $500. And you go and buy a TV over the next month, you pay it back, and then you do that over time, and they say, we'll give you $1,000. You pay that money, you give it back in a month, and you do that over and over again, they say, oh, we'll give you $5,000. And they do that until you can't pay it back. <laughs> but what Paul's saying is, what you give to me, what I'm excited about is that your credit is increasing. The fruit, the, 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 your blossoming is increasing. I mean, I'm going to move to an agricultural analogy because I, I'm familiar with agriculture. You don't think I am because I live in the city. I live across the street. But, but I'll tell you I am because about five weeks ago, I went to my home in Dallas. And my dad, who grew up in South Louisiana, and my stepmom, who grew up in South Mississippi, are now raising some produce. They got some tomatoes. They got some okra. They got some collard greens. So I went out with my, my dad one day because he was taking my son out. And I was like, I'm not going to skip a generation on this agricultural green brown thumb. So I'm going to go with you to go pick some okra. And I went out and I asked my dad, how do you know what to pick? And he said, you go and you look 
for the okra. Now, it can't be too big. Because if it's too big, that means like if it's like this long, if it's too big and thick, then when you go to try to cut it up to make some gumbo, then it's going to be too hard to eat. It's going to break your teeth. And you don't want it too small because it's not ready yet. It's going to taste like plant. What you want is two to, a pod that's about two to three inches. And when you go out there, you want to take your little finger and you want to find where the stem is. and You want to snip it off and put it in your basket. Right. Now, what happens if you decide I'm going to go ahead and leave that pod on the plant? I already told you it's going to get big. It's going to get hard. You can't eat it. And you're not going to get much more fruit. You're not going to get much more okra. Why not? Because you've got to take off the okra when it's ripe so that it frees the nutrients in the plant to make more okra. As I take okra off, I'm not taken from the plant. What I'm actually doing is allowing the plant to bear more fruit. Paul says, you gave to me Philippians, but you didn't lose anything. Because the fruit has increased to your credit. You gave to me. Which means that you're alive, which means that there's life in you, which means that more fruit is coming. So I rejoice. I rejoice. I'm not sad that you gave to me, even though I'm pretty sure if I read the letter to the Corinthians that you probably don't have much either. But I rejoice because you're bearing fruit. And there's more where that came from. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. And what you sent is actually, look at the end of verse 18, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. God is pleased that you gave to me. And if God is pleased, reward is coming to you. So I rejoice that you revived your concern for me. See what he's saying? That's a really important word about giving. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is what he's talking about. If you have a friend that didn't bring his pencil and paper to the after school program, after you got off your computer for eight hours, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you get a phone call from someone saying, I need to borrow your car to go check on my mom in the hospital, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If I have a dollar and you need a dollar, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul says, I rejoice. But Paul says something else, too, that, I, that is really important for us to understand. Paul says something that would totally rock our world if we heard him say it today. So you have your friend over for your birthday party. Talked about that earlier, right? 
He comes with seven of his other friends. And they say, listen, I know your credit's bad. You didn't have $250. So the eight of us got together and we bought you that PlayStation 17 you're looking for. And you respond, I am so excited that you did that. I mean, I don't care about the PlayStation, but I'm so excited that you did that. You don't care about the PlayStation. I spent all my money on that PlayStation. You don't care about the PlayStation. Paul says, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care about the gift. How can he say that? What is in Paul? Paul's under house arrest. Paul has nothing. How can he say, I don't care about the gift? Look at verse 11. He said, I'm not speaking of being in need. Paul says, I may be under house arrest. I may not have food. But I'm not in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He said, I'm not in, I'm not in need. I may be in need, from your perspective, but I'm not in need. What is he talking about? Well, it's right there at the end of verse 11. He says, be content. I'm content. I'm content. I'm, I'm, I'm sufficient. Everything I, I need is with me. I've got everything I, I, I could need. I want to talk about contentment a little bit because there's two things that we see that could keep us from contentment and they're listed here. One is Need. When you're hungry, it's hard to be content until you get fed. We call that hangry. It's hard to be content when you're hungry. It's hard to be content when you're low. Folks talk bad about you. It's hard to be content about that. It's hard to rest in that. Hard to sleep when that's happening. But Paul didn't just say that. He says, it's hard to be, it can be hard to be content when you have abundance. You have plenty. And now it's not necessarily about getting more stuff. It's about protecting all my stuff. It can be hard to be content when you have an abundance. And often, if we have needs, we think we're going to be content if we move from need to abundance. But what Paul's saying is, that's not where contentment's found. We have abundance. You may think, well, what we need to do is just simplify. I need to have need. And I'll, I'll be content. And he's like, no. Contentment is never found in what is created. Contentment was never meant to be found in creation. If I'm only satisfied when I get what I want, I'm never going to be fully satisfied. 
If I evaluate how my day was based on how many boxes I checked off that day, I'm never going to feel content. If I evaluate how I'm doing in this season of my life by what kind of possessions I have, how many friends I have, it's never going to be enough because creation was never meant to make us content. And we can get this by looking at creation. That okra plant. I think it's funny that the okra plant doesn't just need water. It would never be content with just water. It needs water and sunlight. It needs water, sunlight, and soil. It needs water, sunlight, soil, and CO2. See, maturity for the okra plant doesn't mean becoming independent of the soil, the water, the CO2, or the sun. It means bearing fruit. But yet, sometimes for us, we think maturity means self-sufficiency, independence, not relying on anyone else. Now, Paul is saying, I'm content. He's not ignoring the Philippians' gift. He says, I'm well supplied by the gift that you sent. But he is saying that I am not in need. I want you to think about something that I've been thinking about this week. What is one thing that would make your life better if you only had it? I really want you to think about this. I really want you to think about this. I'm actually going to pause for 15 seconds before you think about this. What is one thing that you would say, if I had this, my life would be better? I hope you have that in your mind. If you don't, you can think about it more later. But I want you to read verse 19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to start at the end of this Verse and we're back to the beginning. What are some of the riches in glory in Christ Jesus? Well, I was thinking, I just started thinking and making a list. I'm going to name some of them. The the most important thing we have as far as the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What is is riches? Riches is, is wealth. What is glory? Glory is goodness on display. So what do we have? What is the goodness on display for us in Christ Jesus? There's a lot of them. One, the presence of God. Revelation 21. God will be with them. Eternal life, John 17, 3. There's a feast of rich food, Isaiah 25, 6. 
perfect peace, Isaiah 26.3, a pleasant vineyard, Isaiah 27.2, freedom from sin, Colossians 1.13 and 14, no more gloom, Isaiah 9.1, no more tears, Revelation 21, no more war, Isaiah 2. 1 through 4. Justice and righteousness, Isaiah 26, 9. Loved ones who have gone before. 1 Thessalonians. New bodies, 1 Corinthians 15. New creation, 1 Corinthians 5, 17. There's no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. No shame, Romans 5. All nations gathered together as one with no division, Revelation 7. An inheritance imperishable and undefiled, 1 Peter 1. Justification, right standing before God, Titus 3, 5 through 7. Rescue from this present darkness, Ephesians 16 through 13. Knowledge of God, Jeremiah 31, 34. Forgiveness, Psalm 103, 12. Justice for all who are oppressed, Psalm 103, 6. The riches and glory in Christ Jesus, he said, are yours. And he said, knowing that, I want you to believe that my God will supply every need that you have. Every need that you have. But pastor, what happens when there's distance between my need that I just thought about for 15 seconds and what you're saying to me in verse 19? Because that need actually is a real need. It actually is health. It actually is a really good job so I can support my family. It really is to get out of this negative relationship. What do I do when that need that I said that I really need to make my life better doesn't match up with what you're saying he's going to supply it? What if there's space between those two? What do I do with that? I want to remind us of who's writing the letter. It's Paul. And I want to remind you of the state in which we find Paul. We can find a few different lists throughout the New Testament. One of them is 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29. If you have your Bibles with you or your phone, I invite you to turn with me there. The 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're asking the question, I've got these needs that are real needs, and yet you're saying he's going to supply the need. How can I possibly be content then? I want to remind you of who Paul is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. He's saying, I'm a, I'm a better servant of Christ. Talking like a madman, talking human, but listen to me. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Look at verse 24. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. In other words, I got the death penalty five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys. And he's not saying, I traveled the world, I got to see good places. Look what he says, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And that's all outside of me. Apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I can't sleep. Not because I'm cold, because I got y'all on my mind. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? This is who's writing this letter, who's saying, my God has supplied all your needs. It doesn't sound to me like Paul's needs are being met. And yet he's able to say, my God will supply all your needs. So how can Paul experience this hardship, experience these needs, and yet still say, I am content because my God will supply all your needs? What is the secret of Contentment? Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you've been in church, you've heard this verse a lot of times. All I want to focus on right now is the verb form of strengthen. Strengthen means to make strong. And he says, he strengthens me. That's present tense. He strengthens me. I can do anything God puts before me because he's working in me, giving me strength. How do I know? Because five times I got the death penalty. You know what? I'm still alive. I was shipwrecked. You know what? I'm still here. I was beaten with rods. And you know what? I'm still breathing. He says, there's a a power at work in me. That whether it was people or whether it was nature that came after me, they could not stop me. Why? Because the God who created people, the God who created creation is in me, working in me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nothing can succeed against me unless God, the Almighty, allowed it. And if he did, then he's going to empower me to endure. If I'm still breathing, there's still strength left. And he's empowering me. Finish this sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's saying, I'm not going to want for anything. I'm not going to 
find more things that can make me happy. And that's not what he's saying at all. He's not going to lack. When I was a kid growing up in church, I heard this all the time. Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Lord's my shepherd means that God's going to care for me like a shepherd. But better than a shepherd cares for his sheep. Because a shepherd might be strong, but a shepherd ain't almighty. A shepherd might be wise, but a shepherd ain't all wise. A shepherd might be old, but a shepherd hasn't always existed. A shepherd might be talented, but a shepherd isn't all sufficient. A shepherd can't make food come from the sky. A shepherd can't make water come from a rock. A shepherd can lead a sheep across a river, but he can't make the river part. But the Lord is my shepherd. So I won't want. I'm not going to lack anything. And if Romans 8.28 is true, then even if I lack it for now, he's not going to leave me alone. He's going to be with me. When I can't find that job, when my health continues to fail, I can face that. Why? Because he strengthens me. He makes me strong. You know, I think verse 20 gives us a secret A glimpse into where Paul finds his strength. He says, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. If God is my Father, then I have all I need. If God is my Father, I lack nothing. If God is my Father, then I can be content. When I'm low, when I abound, when I have plenty, when I'm hungry, when I have an abundance, I don't have anything at all. Paul said, I don't need your gift because I'm content because I have a God who has promised to supply all my needs. Family, I don't know what the Lord is saying to you right now. But I know this week the Lord has reminded me of how frustrated I get when my day doesn't go as I want it to. And what he's shown me is that when that happens, I'm looking for contentment in what happened that day. But that day was never meant to give me full satisfaction. In fact, that day can point me to the reality that I can't find contentment in that day. I can only find it in him. When you get that car and it breaks down the first week, you got it. Count it all joy, brothers. Why? Because was, contentment was never supposed to be found in that car. And the Lord just let you know it. So he's got a purpose in that. He's going to work that out for your good. 
He's going to show you he can meet every need. He's going to strengthen you for what he's put in front of you to do. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Our Father, I just thank you so much that you have not relegated us to be content with just stuff that we can touch, stuff that we can dream about. When the mission fails, we can still be content. When the car breaks down, we can still be content. When my back still hurts, Lord, I can still be content. Because you have promised that everything you put in front of me, you, 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 you are strengthening me to accomplish. I pray for my family. Lord God, please make us a church that is radically content, that blossoms in our giving, in our love, because we're not finding satisfaction in creation. We're finding it in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.